When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello. Welcome back to the Rupert Report podcast. Uh, as you can tell, we're all in tremendous spirits given recent events. If you thought last week was a um, fairly despondent, fairly downbeat podcast, then oh boy, are you in for a, a bumpy ride this time round? Because we have two, that's right, two losses to dissect in this week's episode. We have a 2-1 loss to Fleetwood, which was compounded by a 2-1 loss to Southend, which means Sunderland finished the Skybet League One campaign fifth in the table, playing Portsmouth in the semi-final. Yeah, that's uh, um, yeah, that's that's that, great. That team again. Yeah, let's uh, let well, um, let's we'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. For now, let's just talk about who we've got in the studio. I'm joined as always by Johnny Goldsmith. How you doing? Yeah, right. Well, as uh, good as I can be. I mean, I was there <laughs> on Tuesday. Um, Crikey! Well, what we'll, a we'll, wonderful experience that was. Yeah, well, nice. I'm, uh, I'm sure you can um, uh, rejoice in telling us all about what it was like to be in the away end at Fleetwood during such a fantastic game in this season. And joined as well by myself and Johnny is Kieran Brady, who is making his return to the podcast um, uh, with with us two uh, happy blokes over here. How you mm. doing, Kieran? Good afternoon. I'm very well, thank you. Did you see either of the two games? I watched some of the game yesterday at South End. Unfortunately, my commitments to working for the Premier League, ironically enough, at St James's Park, meant mm. I couldn't see the game in its entirety. Which I wouldn't particularly call unfortunate. Well, but certainly from what I could see, it did seem that there was a much greater effort and endeavour and, of course, awareness of the perilous nature of their own situation from South End. And to that end, they they looked very committed, very dedicated, and Mm -hmm. I suppose many people would argue ran out worthy winners. Yeah. Well, I, I I agree. For what it's worth, I think they were up for the occasion a lot more. I think what they were fighting for had a lot more spirit to it than what we were fighting for, mm. which is you know all credit to them and no credit to us. See, I think it becomes a little bit easier for a manager to be be convincing to the players about the nature of a game that is about avoiding relegation 
rather than Jack Ross's responsibility in trying to reinforce to players about the importance of where they finish. Because, of course, we knew the club were already in the playoffs, but nevertheless, it has been disappointing over the course of the last mm-hmm. five days because they were two games that you could see Sunderland being in the form that they have shown quite often throughout the course of the season, winning. So therefore, it's disappointing that they've not only lost both matches, but it has culminated in them finishing fifth, which, of course, presents the difficult task now of overcoming Portsmouth with, of course, the second leg at Fratton Park. So it's a disappointing end to the season. I don't think you can argue against no. that. And it's a real test now for Jack Ross. Absolutely, to, to, it is. You know, it, it really is, because... As much as I think calls for his dismissal if Sunderland are not promoted are somewhat premature, I can understand them more if because I think he's got a real problem insofar as losing against Portsmouth when the opportunity was there to, at the very least, play against Doncaster. And having seen Doncaster at the Stadium of Light several weeks ago, and of course this on the back of Sunderland winning at Doncaster... I would have been very confident that Sunderland, at the very least within the context of the playoffs, would be going to Wembley. But that now seems to be on a knife edge. Oh, absolutely. I think there there are, without a doubt, an array of points to talk about, given the two games in the past week. And we'll get to those in very good time. But just before we jump straight in, let's have our three-word review, just to see if the Sunderland faithful on Twitter share our sentiments here in the studio. So, as always, we asked for three words from the people of Sunderland to summarise the previous week in football. Liam Jordan says, sell Gooch now. Johnny Stocky says, that was abysmal. Michael Briggs says, simply not ready. Paul Dodge Rogers says, Lincoln away, lads. Liam Kennedy says, Jack Ross out. Carl Bridgewood says, Netflix loving it. Mining Canary says, not good enough. Steve says, Jack Ross out. Martin Wiggum says, players look shattered. Jack Ford says Ross out, maybe. Andy says lowest finish ever. Stu says procrastination steals time. Dave says Jack Ross out. John Ridley says sick of Pompey. Heather says need new strikers. David Shannon says Division 1 players. Derek Carter says same old whinges. David Garbutt says keep the faith. George 06 says we bottled it. And Kieran Jennings says one more season. So a, a Predominantly quite a, a, a despondent collection again from the, the, the um, free word reviewers and not again mm. without cause because it's not there's, there's been very little, if anything at all, to talk about that's been positive in the past week. It's been a very disappointing couple of results and it's come at a very pivotal point in the season. But I, th- I think so much of what you said there could be succinctly co- uh, covered and must do better. Yeah, pretty much. I think it is just a case of that. It's a case of, you know, we require require significant and immediate improvement. Mm. If I had to maybe stick all the three-word reviews and it were singular four-word review, mine would be that. But let's go to you now, Johnny, because we'll start, as we always do, chronologically, and we'll start with the 2-1 loss away at Fleetwood. And i start with you, Johnny, because as you told me through gritted teeth and through sunken eyes prior to starting this recording, you were at Fleetwood. Yeah. So tell me what that was like. Well, I was looking forward to going to a new ground. I'm just experienced something different. You know, it's the, one of the last games of the season. Um, Fleetwood don't have a lot to play for, which is why it usually is not good for us because they've got no pressure. It's Joey Barton's cup final. You know, he would love nothing more than to beat Sunderland. And of course, he got his own way. We know the man child that he is. 
And um, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Sunderland in the first half probably should have been 3 0 up at least. Really, Greg hit the bar. And he also, um, I think there was one off the line as well. Uh, then obviously, Catmore got his headed goal. He's found his level, by the way. I think it's uh, safe to say. Um, and in the second half, we're just a different team. And it talks about games of two halves, and that's a very old cliche, but it's exactly what it was. It couldn't have been anything, it couldn't have been a more sort of blatant example of a game of two halves, could it? Yeah. And the second half, we were just absolutely terrible. There's there's not really anything I can point out that I'll go, oh, yeah, it was one positive from that half. There was nothing at all. Um, and then, of course, a last minute defeat. Last minute, like kick of the game, heading for our twentieth straight draw, and then we end up losing. So we didn't get that twentieth draw, but you know, still couldn't have been worse. Yeah, if it's any consolation, we haven't ended this season with twenty draws because we lost the last two games. Wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's great. So you you spoke there, Johnny, about Will Grigg missing some opportunities in the first half. For a striker of his caliber, given the money we've paid, should he be putting those away? Is it disappointing that he hasn't? Certainly should be. I mean, hitting the bar is you, you can't do anything about that, I guess. But when you hit and get one off off the line, you know, it maybe should hit with more force and he might not have had that opportunity to get touch of the ball, uh, as in the goalkeeper or whoever got it off the line there. Um sorry how much I remember. I remember that happened and can't remember who'd done it. But uh, Greg was uh, someone who, you know, you've seen him score 20-odd goals a season in this level and he hasn't managed to get 10 in the half of the season that he's been here. I know he's been apparently injured and he's certainly playing like he's injured. I don't know if he actually is now, but he's been playing like he's got an ankle injury mm-hmm. still. Yeah. The fact that remains, though, if his excuse for not getting as many goals as we'd hoped is the fact that he's injured, that's obviously, you know, if, if he's if he's, if he's he's been carrying a knock for the entirety of his season with us so far, then I can't say that's his fault. But is it then the fault of the recruitment? We'll throw this one to you, Kieran. Is signing a player of Will Griggs' status while on pit very good? If he's got an ankle injury and he's had it for the duration of being mm. here, does that for you qualify as a panic buy? Well, I don't know, simply because I'm not sure who... Jack Ross would have wanted if he had been given his ideal scenario. And just to go back to something that Johnny had said with regards to his miss at Fleetwood where he struck the bar, he should have scored. You know, I know he's obviously trying to score, but the way the play had opened up and the fact the goalkeeper wasn't in the best of positions, I didn't think that he had to hit it as calculated, if you like. He could have Mm -hmm. just curled it with a lot less power on it. But Nevertheless, when you consider that he's been brought in for a significant sum, and of course that is nothing to do with with Will Grigg, when you consider that he has, in essence, been bought to replace Josh Madger and what Josh Madger had contributed, then you have to regard what he's contributed so far as being substandard. Mm -hmm. There's no getting away from it. Now, if he's playing with some form of ailment or injury, then I don't think that he has been done, you know, he's not been done a favour if that's not made public to the supporters. Because if they're just going to draw the assumption that he's playing with full capabilities, then they're going to, of course, say that it's not good enough. And Jack Ross, and I believe it's for the first time this season that I recall, has actually went public and says that, I think to quote him, his performances would have to go up a couple of notches. And of course, what often happens with football managers, what they say publicly and what they feel privately can often be two completely different things. So I can imagine that Jack Ross is disappointed with the output from Will Gregg so far. 
I know that he has a very good record in this particular division, but I still believe that they would have been hoping to see the fruits of that on a much more consistent basis than mm-hmm. what we've witnessed. He was, you know, he was granted some leeway in the first couple of games when he got into very good positions, but was unfortunately unable to convert. Then when he scored at Bristol Rovers in the Checker Trade quarter-final, or semi-final, um, you felt that there was some hope that the floodgates would open to a degree, but it's never materialised. And apart from anything, I don't believe that he's providing anything significant out with the fact that he's not scoring goals. And, of course, you can just be grateful that Charlie White has come into a little bit of form and managed to contribute mm-hmm. in that regard. But... um in the main, I would certainly be hoping for a lot more from Greg. Yeah. I think Charlie Wyke, as you say there, he's sort of steed himself away from having a, a Josie Altidore reputation by just getting on the score sheet a bit more. Mm. But ultimately, combined, they haven't got enough. Our our, our sort of go-to strikers, I mean, no. we have at the club Will Grigg, who's not performing, Charlie Wyke, who hasn't got as many, granted that he has missed a significant portion of yeah, the season through injury. And there's Kaz Sterling, who it's unfair to expect an awful lot from because he's a young lad. Mm. He played 11 minutes of professional football prior to coming to Sunderland. I think it's unfair to immediately yeah. assume he can do what Madger did. It's a lot of pressure in one go. But Will Griggs so far this season has scored four goals. He scored three in the league and one in the Checker Trade Trophy against Bristol Rovers. Mm. One of those was a penalty. And I think one of them against Coventry was a tap-in. So when you sort of put it all into perspective, yeah. that's not a particularly impressive record from a striker. Well, I would, I would give him some credit for being in the position to mm-hmm. score the tap-in. I would never, ever be critical of a centre-forward who scores a significant number of goals from close range because they have to be there and often it's their instincts that will allow them to be there. Jermaine Defoe being a very good example. Absolutely. Although we are, of course, talking about Two players that yeah. are far apart. It's all, it's all relative to the league. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think you're all, you are right, however, to point out penalties. Because I think if you're a manager and you're going scouting a centre forward and you hear that somebody scored 30 goals, one of the first things you're going to do is find out how many are from open play. Because ultimately, a penalty taker at any club might change, which might mean if you buy somebody that scored 30 goals, only to, well, you probably will have found out that maybe. 10 of them are penalties it's Mm. it's a completely different complexion on it Um, but certainly taking everything into consideration I know that Will Grigg does not have any control over the amount paid whatever that may be I know it's been speculated to be somewhere in the region of 3 to 4 million Um, I I thought they paid far too much for him I I was I couldn't believe how much they paid for him Mm. even if it's you know even if it's starting off at 2 million Mm. I was amazed Um, and I I just hope that there's been nothing untoward in the background. I just hope that it was Jack Ross that wanted him and wanted him Mm -hmm. badly and was able to persuade the club to part with the necessary money to do it because I'm adverse to this idea of influences coming from out with the footballing sector, as it were. Um, But, you know, as far as I'm aware, it's a League One record and of course, with that comes pressure. And um, even if he if he'd signed on a free transfer, it's it's not been it's not been particularly productive so far. No, you wouldn't say so. I suppose for the sake of context, though, it's worth pointing out that Stuart Donald, I believe it was yesterday on Twitter, uh, publicly said that the 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 
total possible money that would be paid for Will Grigg would be three million. And we know prior that that fee would only rise should, should Sunderland get back in the Premier League, which I think we'd probably all agree if that was to transpire, Will Grigg would most likely not be at the club should we be a Premier League club while he's still got time to run in his contract. Mm. So there's that. I think the initial payment was one million and that is set to rise based on how Sunderland rise through the leagues. But how would one million sit with you knowing that if that is to be the case, is that still sort of panic by territory for a League One club? Well, well, again, you know, the responsibility for the acquisitions of the club are with Jack Ross, or they certainly should be. In mm. an ideal world, he and a trusted coaching and scouting staff will make the decisions about who comes into the club. And assuming that is the case, and if it was to be one million while Sunderland are a League One club, and for sake of argument, two million in the Championship, and then three million if they reach the Premier League, then you can understand it, certainly based on what he's contributed in his time at Wigan. I think over the course of the last three to five years, he scored more League One goals than almost anyone else. Mm-hmm. So he was just representative of a continuation, I believe, of a policy at the club where they would buy a group of players that they felt had already shown they can perform at League One level. Players who were obviously no longer participating at the top level, but had shown at least in patches that they could. And then occasionally one or two from, you know, the lower leagues. And of course, you have to factor in those that have come in on loan. And, that's all well and good and you can of course argue that your position has been vindicated assuming you achieve promotion but if Sunderland are to negotiate a pathway beyond Portsmouth and then if they are to overcome Charlton or Doncaster then you're once again confronted with a significant rebuilding summer ahead of you because I can laud the players for their endeavour this season. So much of what we've witnessed over the course of the last nine months was sadly lacking in the previous season's championship campaign. But there's no getting away from it. And if you're asking me to come here and contribute to the podcast, then it's doing a disservice to the supporters if I don't say that they are simply not good enough to Mm. compete in the championship. Certainly not if they're going to have aspirations about the playoffs. So it would once again have to be a significant, you know, there'd have to be a significant influx of players Mm -hmm. if they genuinely want to make at least a mild attempt to get into the playoffs in the first season back. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, if I'm honest, I completely agree. I look at the squad we've got now and you have to look at especially, I mean, obviously everything, for me in football, everything that I see with regards to our own team is always either tainted or rose-tinted by recent performances. In this mm. case, it's it's very much tainted. I've just seen my team lose 2-1 to Southend, who were fighting relegation, and lose 2-1 to Fleetwood, who were mid-table, in two games where I thought they absolutely could have done a lot better, or they absolutely well, should have. I mean, I suppose I can understand the sense of disappointment that has came of late. Now, when you consider that for the most part, throughout the course of the season, there has been a returning feel-good factor within the broad support. There has been a sense of optimism that has been sadly lacking for many, many years. But that, of course, has to be set against the backdrop of winning matches on a very consistent and regular basis. And we can't discard the fact that that is happening because they're playing against a much lower level of opposition on a weekly basis. Now, we do then, 
for you know, for those Sunderland fans that might have adopted this attitude that says we are back and we are going places. I mean, come on! You, you, play, Sunderland have played two league games this season against Fleetwood Town and not been able to beat them in either match. In fact, it's only John McLaughlin's penalty save at the Stadium of Light meant that they didn't lose two games to Fleetwood Town. Now, can you imagine saying to somebody, um, a Sunderland fan five years ago, in five years' time, you're going to be playing against Fleetwood Town, you're not going to be able to beat them over two games, and yet there's going to be a feel-good factor around the Stadium of Light. Now, people would be amazed to think that that was actually viable. But, of course, it's where we're at. And I still see the club as very much a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And I know and I think there should be compliments offered towards Stuart and Charlie and others at the club for a much greater fan interaction. There's been a much greater preparedness for community engagement. But ultimately... What you want from a board of directors at a football club is to try to make progress on the field of play. And where we're at at this very moment, it's very difficult to be definitive about it because whenever I engage in interviews like this, I'm always doing it from the position of someone that believes Sunderland Football Club should be competing in the top seven of the English Premier League. So nobody's ever going to be able to convince me, even if Sunderland had won 46 games out of 46 in the league, in League One, that they're a club that's going places. But they're a club that's certainly going through a transition. I'm conscious of the fact that the owners are not financially well off enough to provide endless or limitless funds to a manager in order to navigate a pathway through both League One and the Championship. But nevertheless, I still think when you look over the course of the season, certainly the league campaign, it could only be argued as being reasonable at best. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it, there's, there's, there's a definite feeling of that in and around the Sutherland fans. That I mean, obviously the feel-good factor is there. Like, we all know yeah, it's there. Of course. But there is always, there's, there's a certain absurdity to it because it's mm. a feel-good factor in a season where we've just achieved our lowest ever finish. We'll go to you now though, Johnny. Taking the season as a whole, as I say there, it's quite difficult to completely detach yourself from the most recent games because they always colour your perception as a fan, or at least they do for me. But just for you, if you were to... Just just tell me what you think the feel-good factor is like, given the season as a whole. Do you feel optimistic coming away from it? Do you feel like we're in the right direction, or do you feel... Well, you, you just tell me. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I feel kind of just a bit of a relief that like we're not fighting relegation for a third season in a row, to be honest. I mean, I'd honestly... Well, if it were, crikey. Honestly, I, be- I did believe that when we got relegated last year, I had I was just thinking, well, what's going to happen next season? I just didn't feel like, if it stayed the way it was, I just felt like we'd have another relegation battle on our hands. Honestly, I did believe that, and we didn't. And things have changed for the better, slowly. Um, things like, obviously, the owner. There's more of a, It feels like there's more of a togetherness with the fans than there has mm. been in the club and the connection with the club there. Yeah. So there are certain things like that which I think are better. Um, obviously, not being in the uh, not being promoted this season automatically is something that people will worry about. But I don't know for me as a Sunderland fan who's just glad that we're not still in decline. I'm kind of just like I'll be ha- I'll be all right having another season in this league. Probably crazy for me to say, but I just think like it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, and thankfully it's it's started to like turn itself around. But obviously, the last couple of games of the season not good enough by by any football fans' um, standards. I don't think. 
No, and I, I think all that aside, though, we are still on a positive trajectory. I think even though it's possible now, I, I would even say probable, given how things have gone, that we aren't going to go up, given given the fact that we're going to play Portsmouth over two legs and we've failed to beat them so far this season. Well, I think, I, I mean, I wouldn't be fearful of playing Portsmouth. I would just be much more confident of playing Doncaster. Well, and say, yeah. You, you know, but the thing is, you look at Portsmouth's last two results, and it would show that there's nothing to be fearful of because I think you could actually argue that Portsmouth, albeit they took one point from six, have been a bigger letdown because they were pursuing automatic promotion and they were unable, of course, to overcome Peterborough. And then, of course, they weren't even able to, you know, force the, force the issues that were when in the game yesterday. So, I, I don't, I mean, the good thing is Jack Ross has got seven days now to prepare, I think you could certainly argue that it is the most challenging seven days of his managerial career at Sunderland to date. And there's no doubt that the voices will increase for some sort of action to be taken, you know, whether it's to bring in better players or whether it's to remove the manager if Sunderland are unable to overcome Portsmouth because I do believe that they're just they've just made it much more difficult for themselves. You mm-hmm. know, they, they, they potentially have. Um but, you know, I've got no doubt that despite all of the despondency that we perhaps are witnessing over the course of the last five days or so, come Saturday night you will have upwards of forty thousand or more within the Stadium of Light, providing a raucous atmosphere and trying to ensure that they can play their part in getting the team to get a very good result ahead of the trip south. Yeah, I think that will be the case. I think the fans won't be happy with recent results, but mm. the Sunderland fans will be behind their side come Saturday night. But I just wonder who really, who's going to go into this game feeling the more sort of psychologically better off against the other. If you mm. look at recent results, there's a lot to say for or against Sunderland being the side who could perhaps have the the, the, the mental edge over Portsmouth. And there were a lot to say that Portsmouth would have it. I mean, first of all, we'll say why Portsmouth could, in my opinion. Obviously, the beat us at Wembley, which is always going to be big. But that that will not psychologically benefit the Portsmouth players. You don't think? No. not The, the, the win at Fratton Park, even although Sunderland played for part of the game with 10 men, yes. But it's very difficult to believe that you're superior, even moderately superior to a side when you've only been able to beat them on penalty kicks. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's much fairer to say from the psychological perspective that Sunderland and Portsmouth have played each other three times they've drawn twice and Portsmouth of course won the initial league game mm-hmm. um, for me I would be incredibly surprised if the tie to all intents and purposes was decided on Saturday evening I wouldn't expect you know if, I think if you offered me a one goal lead to go to Fratton Park I would take it yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be... A 1-0, you would take a 1-0. 1-0, 2-1. I'm saying 2-1, 3-2, etc. because away goals don't count in the no. playoffs. Um, but g- given the fact that they have played Portsmouth three times and have not been able to beat them over 90 minutes, I would be happy to go to Fratton Park because I think Sunderland could, you know, they could either hold on to it or even extend it. Um, it certainly wouldn't surprise me because I don't look at Portsmouth and think that they've got outstanding players you know I don't think they've got any players for example who have had the career that Aidan McGeady has had you know and who is capable of providing such 
great quality and who we've seen the best of in many ways this season. So I can understand the despondency relating to recent performances, particularly... I mean, the first half of Fleetwood, as Johnny was saying, you know, perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable. If only for a few, you know, a few chances being converted, it could have been done and dusted by the by the break. Um, but there's nothing to be fearful fearful regarding um, Portsmouth from what I've seen. Um, Charlton might be something different because mm-hmm. they do seem to be coming into some sort of form, and they've got a very good attacking threat in Lyle Taylor. Um, it's the annoying thing is. It, it's not going to be Doncaster and one other. It, it, it looks very, very likely that it's going to have to be Portsmouth with the second leg at Fratton Park and then <laughs> then the possibility of a playoff final against Charlton Athletic yeah. or Wembley. Oh, God. Yeah, someone in the three-word review said Netflix loving it and then they provided underneath in context because we're playing Portsmouth again to get quote-unquote revenge and then we're playing Charlton again at Wembley. Yeah. So obviously... It's and Lee Catmull score the winning penalty. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, if, I know if, that's if it, the if dream. Yeah, if it's a poetic <laughs> finish, we want it's a poetic finish. You'll get if that's the case. But anyway, we'll go to you now, Johnny. We've talked a bit there about psychological advantages, and obviously, when you weigh the two up, there's a lot to consider. Kieran makes a very good point in saying that you've only, we've only beaten Portsmouth on penalties, and for me as well, I think it's very good that we're playing them at Wembley. Oh, sorry, that we've played them at Wembley, and we won't play them at Wembley again because of that for me could be mm. something as well if they've already beaten us mm. there. I think that could be something. Thankfully, that won't transpire now because either we'll beat them in the semis or they'll beat us. The Portsmouth, Sunderland in the, at Wembley will not transpire. It'll be Sunderland against most likely Charlton or and very unlikely to be Doncaster, in my opinion. But when you, when you look at the games in isolation of extra time, they've beaten us 3-1 while we had 10 men. You know, thanks to thanks to Glenn Leuvens and his um, uh, heroics there. They've beaten us, um, if it's full-time at Wembley, it's 1-1 without added time. And then if you look at the other game, it's 1-1. So really, those teams are quite evenly matched. Yeah, yeah. They, they've, only, they've only ever beaten us when we've had 10 men. I think those two teams are very evenly matched. But taking yes. everything into consideration this season, could a psychological advantage make the difference? And if so, who has it? I mean, I personally think that um, Portsmouth might look at that um, Wembley game and think that, well, Kenny Jackett might look at that and think, well, you've, we've beat them twice a season technically. And, and like, obviously we did draw and we look at beat on penalties. It depends. Some players might look at that in a different way and think we've won, they've beat them twice. And up here, I think uh, their goalie had a great game as far as I'm aware and made a couple of good saves that we could have gone one or two nil up at some point. I think good game is an understatement, Miley. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, do, do, do you see that, Kieran? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah so it, shows, it shows that the goalkeeper, obviously that means that we're able to at least penetrate that defence and it's the goalie that's kept him in the game. So I mm-hmm. guess if we can have, uh, if, we're, if we're on our day, um, usually we're quite a good attacking mm. team. Yeah. And the, and the first half at Wembley. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you know, so, no, I mean, Kenny Jackett, I suspect, and he would be well within his rights to impress upon his players, even although there's an element of kidology within it because of Wembley and the penalties, to say to his players, look, you should have no fear, lads. You've played this team three times and they've not been able to beat you. But equally, Jack Ross should be able to use the Portsmouth goalkeeper, the first half at Wembley, the facts Sunderland down to 10 men, to at the very least make the players aware that they're not coming up against a team that is far superior to them by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination. And 
irrespective of Sunderland's recent form and the fact that over the course of the last two games, Portsmouth have been unable to get a victory. If you were asking me to pick a winner from the two legs, it's notoriously difficult. You know, I really do think it's it's mm-hmm. 50-50. I think so. I think everything everything being equal, it's very much up in the air. You know, I, I've been profoundly negative so far in the podcast, but I do think that we can very much win that game. I think it's it's up there and I think a victory in our leg here could make such a big difference because what that says is you win one game against them. Yes, it's over two legs. Mm. It's not the penultimate result that gets you through to the finals, but you beat them at home and you've beaten them and that's it. It's like mm. we've worked hard over three different games to beat them and we've overcome them. Be it 1-0, be it 3-1, if you beat them, that's just that, that that's it. That's when you go into the game thinking, right, we've found your weaknesses, we've exploited them, we've overcome you this time, now we're going to do it again. There's that real belief. My fear is that you get another 1-1 draw at home because that happens yeah. and I'm just going to be See, absolutely... The th- the th- where yeah. I would take confidence and why I was saying that I would accept a one-goal victory, no League One team has been able to beat Sunderland by more than one goal over the course of the last year. Where? Oh, last year, yeah. You, you know, so Portsmouth, okay. Portsmouth. Right, so the one team that has is yeah. the team we're playing. Um, but of course, you have to factor in the 10 men. Yeah, um, that's true. So I think all things being equal, Jack Ross, again, can say to the players that, okay, the last week has been disappointment, but he shouldn't find it that difficult, I believe, to get the players back to the mindset that brought him through the first 44 games, only losing... Two matches when all things were equal. Burton away and, of course, Coventry in that incredibly entertaining spectacle several weeks ago. Um, so there, there, there has been good signs, you know, much greater signs of resilience, certainly in comparison to what we witnessed last season. Um, so I, I, I can understand the despondency, but I wouldn't be pessimistic if that makes sense. You know, because... You know, some of the players, and quite often, see when they talk about a team bottling it, it's never a team that bottles it. It's some players. You know, you're talking about 11 or more different individuals who have got a different mindset. You know, imagine saying Manchester United, for the most part, under Alec Ferguson, bottled it, and you were implying that it was a team collectively, which would include Roy Keane. I mean, he did not bottle anything. Um, but so, So you're hoping that some of the players can maybe not worry too much about personal performances and mistakes, particularly in defence, because that has been the subject of such scrutiny. But I would, I would still be quietly confident that you know that they can they can overcome recent adversity and mm-hmm. use the week ahead to really hammer home to the players the importance of what lies ahead, and that Jack Ross still has the greatest, utmost faith and confidence in what they can do. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAG is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAG, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Let's talk a bit about individual performances then, because that's definitely quite a hot topic given how some of the players have been playing recently. Whether or not um, uh, the man's bottling it, Johnny, or whether or not he's just not good enough, what do you make of Lyndon Gooch? 
I don't know what's happened to that lad. Um, I used to be um, quite a big fan of the guy. When he scored the winning goal against uh, Charlton, I thought mm. this might be a good season for him as well. And then things have just not worked out, really, in the last few weeks, a few months, really. Yeah, from the second he put the, the pen to paper on that contract, it feels like there's not been a good game since. Mm. That's yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly it. It feels like as he signed a contract extension, it's as if something's just clicked inside his head where he's just not trying as much. And I don't know, maybe he is trying and he's just not very good. But it just feels like something in his play just isn't the same. Yeah, um, I think Lyndon Gooch is a trier. I think he tries hard. But hmm. you, you look. I look at him when he's playing and there doesn't seem to be that much intelligence when he gets into maybe positions where he can create something. There's a lot of him, we've said it before, there's a lot of sort of, much like Duncan Watmore when he's played, he gets the ball and then puts his head down and dribbles to the byline, that realises there's nowhere to go and it comes back. Either that or he loses possession. It, it, it seems to me that it's always one of those two options for Gooch. Sometimes I look at Lyndon Gooch and I feel like he sees Eden McGeady play and he tries to be like him. And it's like, he's obviously not the same level as he is. No. But he tries. Obviously, there's not, no point in trying to, you know, trying to create something. But I think he just isn't doing it the right way. I think there's some. I think he needs to. I'm not sure. Just, he's not as good as McGeady, obviously. Obviously not. No. Something about him that's just not working for him at the moment. And I'm not sure if, like, once the fans start going against you, it's very difficult to get them mm-hmm. back sometimes, and it's going to be difficult. Like next sure. season, the minute he makes a bad pass, people will be on his back saying, "Oh, he's awful. Oh, he's awful." You know. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be difficult for him to um, get the fans back on his side. Yeah. What was it about his performances earlier this season that, that were so much better than the ones he's, he's, he's turning out with now? We've, said this, we've, we've spoken about it before, but what is it exactly? Because I, I don't know if I can quite put my finger on it. I, I'm, I can't really put a finger on it myself. I, I know that it just felt like he was enjoying his football a lot more earlier on in the season. And then... Um, I don't know what's happened. Like over from January onwards, just things seems to have just changed for him. He's just not the same player. Yeah, uh, mm. I don't know, Kieran. Can you remember the three nil win against Scunthorpe earlier this season? The one at home. Yeah, that was certainly one of the most convincing performances of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you remember in particular Lyndon Gooch absolutely blitzing the fullback? He was up against that game. Mm. He was causing them all sorts of bother. What What is it? What is it that he's with, with with your footballers head on, what is it that he was what, what he's doing in games like that that he's not doing now? End product. End product. That I mean, that is as simple as I can put it. And that wouldn't be a unique in any way to Lyndon Gooch. That's no. applicable to anybody that's playing on the wing. And I don't believe that he necessarily gains the same popularity as Aidan McGeady, Chris Maguire, or even Lewis Morgan having come in in January. There's a lot of industry. I think in the main, he does have a good work ethic, even if it's not been evident over recent weeks. He was, of course, out of the team for a while. And I think he's perhaps now in the knowledge that if everyone is fit, he's not going to be a preferred starter. No. I think Maguire, McGeady and Morgan would be trying to secure the two places on either wing. And that may have dampened any confidence. I do think, however, that one of his biggest shortcomings is the inability to get his head up at times. And when a, when you have a winger like that, and to be fair, Duncan Watmore has had that levelled against him in the past also. And irrespective of how good a work ethic someone has, irrespective of how much pace they have, if they can't get their head up to provide the end product, whether it's a shot, a cross, a pass, etc., then in many ways you're fighting a losing battle. 
on Lyndon Gooch, he has signed a new contract quite recently. There was, of course, talk about him leaving the club at the end of the season if he hadn't signed a contract. Now, it perhaps tells a story that if he had... Can you remember exactly when he signed his new contract? It was about November time, I think. Give or take. Perhaps a bit later, actually. Now, given that he has come through the ranks at the club, I don't suspect that he will be on a very, very good wage. Now, if he was a player of some repute then I'm certain that he would have an agent or an advisor telling him not to sign a new contract at Sunderland, that he will be able to secure him a deal at a club where his wages would go into five figures per week. The very fact that that perhaps hasn't materialised is perhaps an indication of how broader football views him. Mm-hmm. And I can understand Sunderland want to keep him. They, of course, have nurtured him through the early years of his development. But... If the club was to go on and prosper and to aspire to what I believe it should be, then, and it wouldn't just be Lyndon Gooch, there would be many others that simply wouldn't be. Yeah. You, you know, at the club, it's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're all possibly in agreement that um, Lyndon Gooch's career at Sunderland doesn't exist beyond League One, and it's barely existing in League One as things stand. Well, I think, I think that's applicable to a lot of players, and I think Stuart and Charlie must have taken a decision last summer that with regards to the influx of players, the overwhelming majority were only going to be the recipient of two-year deals. And that is very much indicative of what exists within Leagues 1 and 2. But I think the hope was that the players they would bring in... And and Sunderland, for me, has been far too nice a football club. It has to be much more ruthless. It can be tactful, it can be diplomatic about how it goes about it, But ultimately, it will have to leave players with the impression at times, thank you for what you've done for us to date, but we no longer need your services. And that wouldn't solely be applicable to any one player. And, you know, if you're bringing in players from Bradford, from Wickham, from Peterborough and elsewhere, you, of course, hope that they can help you achieve your short-term objectives. But then, of course, if you're going to set new goals, then it may well be that you're going to have to bring in a higher standard of player, which, of course, necessitates much greater commitment from the board. Mm-hmm. And on that very issue, the issue of investment is something that's absolutely critical, you know, with regards mm-hmm. to the club at this moment. Um, certainly if they get promoted. On the last podcast with Stuart Donald, he told us when we asked, when we asked him about his ambitions for next season, he told us that he would initially be aiming for the top six. Those were, in effect, more or less his words. So if he's saying something like that, Kieran, would he make a statement like that if he didn't believe in there being some form of substantial investment as a possibility or a probability? Well, I would have to probably ask you, when he says top six, what division does he mean? Championship. Okay. Um, Well, I'm pleased to hear that he's made... You know, he's made that public because I think it's something that he can always be referred back to by supporters. If the club are promoted and Stuart has the genuine ambitions of the club reaching the playoffs or better still, automatic promotion within the championship, then there's absolutely no doubt that you're going to have to bring in a better standard of player right across the, you know, the, the club. I mean... I, I know that um, Aidan 
has thrived this season. And it's great credit to Jack Ross because a lot of much more experienced managers have tried to get the best out of Aidan McGeady on a consistent basis and have not been able to do it. Jack Ross has managed to say the right things that has allowed Aidan to be in love with football again and that, of course, has been evident in his play. But my concern would be that if the club are promoted and there isn't investment in the side in any significant manner, then you could witness the types of, maybe not necessarily performances, but results that were all too common throughout the course of the championship season. The difference being, on this occasion, it won't be for lack of effort as such. It will be much more to do with the lack of quality. If you look at the squad that Sunderland had in the championship, and you look at the careers that those individual players have had, they're far superior to the squad of players that Sunderland have now. I know there's an overlap in terms of McGeady and Catamore and various Oviedo, um, but to give the players credit for this season, I don't think anybody, you know, there might be the odd 10-minute period in games or there might be the odd second half, but I think in the main there's been an honesty to the players that, um, you know, I think is commendable and I think the fans have been wanting to see for a considerable period. But again, you know, I'm, I'm, you can't sugarcoat it if there's a genuine lack of, of, of quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so if Stuart is aiming for top six next season, assuming, of course, promotion is is realised, then that, that's it's great that he's made that public, but it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, I think what you say there about there being requirements for improvement all over the pitch. I'd agree with that. What do you think, Johnny? Is there a single person in that Sunderland team now who could turn out on a regular basis for, let's say, a top-half championship club? You look at those players now, do any of those, could any of those play for a team in the top 12 of the championship? Aiden, perhaps. Do you think so? Maybe. I mean, mm. um, what's, I think, what's the concern? I feel he's just his age. Yeah. 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 See, the, the, Johnny's right in what he's saying because, you know, the experience that Aiden has is one thing that can be used productively. The fact is that maybe next season he might be a half a yard slower. Um, and, and that that half a yard is vitally important for Aiden. He loves nothing than getting closer to a fullback and then almost from a standing start going right on his right foot or the left foot to cross it. Um you would you would make allowances for that though with regards to Aiden because the one thing that he's produced this season on a much more regular basis has been the end product. Um, but I think Johnny's right. If you're thinking top twelve of the championship, then Aiden McGeady, you know, um, Aiden McGeady at twenty seven, if he was in love with football the way he seems to be at the moment, would be playing in the top half of the Premier League. I agree. You know, skill is skill irrespective of what league you're playing in mm-hmm. and pace he's he's got sufficient ability to play at the highest level but as I said as much as he's had a very successful career he's had a very financially rewarding career particularly from his time in Russia I think a lot of people who have followed his career closely would say that he's maybe just not been as he, he could have been better for him mm-hmm. you know so is there anyone else Johnny you think <clears throat> Well, I guess you could look at the goalkeeper. McLaughlin? Potentially, McLaughlin, potentially. I mean, hmm. he's been a bit off, I think, in the last few games, but I think... I don't know. I don't he's know. been, he's, for the majority of the season, he was probably our best player, I would say. And I think a lot of people would have agreed that in the transfer window, he's been one of the better signings. Yeah. Um, and I think 
I, I do. I think McLaughlin could do well at someone like Brentford or whoever else finishes in the top 12 in the yeah. um, Bristol City, those kind of teams. Sort of like a generic top-off championship team. I don't think not... he would be like prim, uh, championship champions uh, team material, but I think he could uh, do all right in the championship, yeah. No, the, the only mistake I can, off the top of my head, well, if I could maybe, of all the, the teams that have shot at him this season, if I could pick two mistakes, and I can only think of two that he's made, only one of them as well reaping a consequence in the... Checker Trade Trophy finally came off his line prematurely and he was lobbed by Jamal Law as a result. Other than that, against Bradford, he, he, um, uh, didn't, he, he didn't get a hold of the ball which came to him and that almost ended up with him parrying it into his own net. But thankfully, because there's no VAR in League One, that goal was ruled as not a goal. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's pretty good. But yeah, yeah if, when you think about it really, his margin for error is um, compared to, say, right to steal and camp last season is non-existent. Oh. Yeah, you know he's really he's he's barely putting a foot wrong, but I think yeah. To be honest, I I would agree with that. I think McLaughlin had a push to be honest, and McGeady at his current age and perhaps maybe not next mm. season or next season and a half could play for a top twelve championship team. How about a team in the top twenty four? Any team in the championship? Well, we'll not say twenty four. We'll say twenty one. Yeah. Which of our players could play for a championship club and at the very least survive relegation, Kieran? Oh, jeez. Um, I like Ledbetter. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, I I know that in the game against Coventry in particular, whatever deficiencies he has tended to be exposed. You know, I think that athleticism is not his forty, but I think what he's contributed in terms of set pieces cannot be overstated. No, and you know, Lee Catamull's got a wealth of experience playing at the highest echelons of the game and he's not someone that's way into his late 30s. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was of a mind to move on and the club decided that because of his wages, it would be best for that to happen. I'm pretty certain that he could, as the saying goes, do a job for, for a team in the um, the championship. The problem isn't simply that. You know, the issues are that sometimes people can be galvanised when they move to a new club. They can become stale when they're at the same club for too long. And equally, if they're at a club where the aspirations and standards are not what they should be, then it can have a toxic effect throughout. And that's something that was so evident throughout the championship season. You had a lot of players there with a lot of experience, be that at the Premier League, be it in European club football or indeed at international level. And yet they were they were just hopeless throughout the course of the season. And there was just so much apathy from the players that then, of course, extended into the stands. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you're asking me in a roundabout way rather than individualising it, how would Sunderland cope in the championship with the squad that they have? I think they would struggle. Mm-hmm. I certainly do. But what could compound it is if they, for example, got off to a bad start in the opening eight to ten games because the players, you know, don't forget, in Simon Grayson's time at the club, Sunderland were unbeaten in their first three games. And it actually looked as if it could be quite a prosperous season. But once results started to go against them, the players looked incredibly fragile. And so often when they went a goal down at the Stadium of Light, you simply knew that a draw was the absolute best that you could hope for on any given day. So 
the lack of quality, I believe, would be a contributing factor to Sunderland struggling if they were to get promoted. I suppose, and without trying to be too negative about the issues that confront us, it's going to be interesting to see if Sunderland don't get promoted, what happens with Bolton Wanderers and perhaps also what happens with Ipswich Town. Because if both of those clubs, for example, were to come into new ownership and that new ownership was to mean new money and they were then to try to assemble a squad that was very capable of coming straight back to the Championship, I think it arguably makes League One as challenging, if not more, than what it has been this season. That's a scary thought. Because, you know, there is a feel-good factor that comes with new Mm -hmm. ownership. I think Sunderland, in the main, have been beneficiaries from having so much newness attached to the club. New owners, new manager, new coaches, and a significant number of new players. I wouldn't be that confident that the same group of players could perform to the same endeavour next season. Because there's a lot of history and a lot of evidence that you would show you that being at Sunderland beyond a specific period, a lot of players tend to go stale. A lot of players enjoy the adulation that comes, I believe it comes far too easily. And it's ironic in a way that I'm saying it because I was a beneficiary of it. Mm. But, you know, if you, a classic example perhaps from this season would be Chris Maguire. Started the season very well. He's at a new club. He receives the adulation of many of the supporters who refer to him as the king or other such superlatives. Yeah. He then suffers a drop in form and the craving for him to come back is not based on his form as such. It's based on the fact that he's been out injured for some time and the team are perceived to be struggling to a degree. I watched Chris Maguire warming up as a substitute on several games at the Stadium of Light about six to eight weeks ago. And from watching him warm up, I could see why Jack Ross wasn't playing him from the start because he looked like somebody who, you know, felt that he'd arrived, as it were, you know. And I would like to think that in the intervening period that, you know, some issues have been resolved because he, he does have quality. You know, he, he certainly can provide a threat. Um, but no, next season would be a struggle in the championship without without investment. No. No, I agree. I think one player who might be all right in the championship is Jack Baldwin if he had a decent partner alongside him. You mean a cabal to his corner yes. sort of a thing? I think he's I, th- I think he's a decent defender. I just think maybe Tom Flanagan isn't. I mean, Tom yeah. Flanagan, as I've said before, isn't a centre-back. He's a left-back who just happens to play there because he's a big lad. But mm. I think Jack Baldwin could do decent if there was someone alongside him who was mm-hmm. just as good if not better well let's get to that not Baldwin but Flanagan because mm. let's talk a bit about the South End game in particular now Tom Flanagan for me was responsible for the first goal and arguably the second as well well in fact I think he might have been responsible for them both looking back the first goal he looked um, it's either the first or the second one of them he had the ball at his feet he'd committed to a challenge but then he was just dispossessed very easily and South End could slot the goal in he'd He's done this before a lot of times this season where he doesn't quite look like he knows what he's doing with his legs. There's a lot of perhaps mal-coordination there and there's a lot, there's a lot, of, a lot of weakness when he's up against a striker or any attacking player who can muscle him off the ball and they're in the box and it's a bit of a skirmish. Yeah. They seem like they can just do that and he just doesn't seem to have the, the option of getting in away with the strength that might benefit him getting onto the ball and getting rid. Yeah. I don't know. I he, just... he frustrates me because I feel like I see him 
too many times t- trying to do like a Hollywood pass, and it just frustrates me because he's playing mm-hmm. centre back. So why is he trying to do fancy passes like that? He's, I mean, I know when they are done right, it looks good, but he doesn't do it enough, and I just get really frustrated when he does that. He's not good enough to do that. Mm-hmm. He seldom picks out a good pass if it's not just a very sort of direct, get rid, sort of no-nonsense mm. defender pass. But again, when we had Danny Collins on, we spoke at great length about defenders in League One and League Two, but obviously in, in this case more so in League One. When you, you, if, if, if a, a centre-back is in this division, then they're not going to be a ball-playing defender who's you know has good awareness, good strength, and is can time a tackle well. If they had all those attributes, they'd be in the Championship or above. Yeah. Uh, your, your standard centre-back who's playing in League One is going to operate primarily as a no-nonsense centre-back because those are the attributes that they can have without a margin for error. Mm. Those are the, the fundamentals of their game and they'll have that. And if they do have that, they won't have anything else to go with the, that the, because chances are those kind of players are playing in a much higher standard. I think you know for Baldwin or indeed if Flanagan does happen to be playing centre-back, then they could certainly benefit from having someone alongside them mm. that has got a wealth of experience and has got great presence and leadership qualities. I've watched in the games that Flanagan and Baldwin have played together mm-hmm. over the course of the season, there has been numerous times where they've actually been physically bullied by a sole centre-forward. Liam Boyce from Burton done it. Yep. Paul Smith from Accrington Stanley at the Stadium of Light. And what about Kiefer Moore? He just like... Pick well, them up and just chuck well, off the other. <laughs> see, the thing is, Kiefer Moore will probably do it to a lot because there's an unspoken relationship that exists between centre forward and centre half, and that is that one does the kicking and one has to react in hopefully a positive manner to being kicked. But with Baldwin and Flanagan, if they're playing together, you actually think centre forwards would be confident that they can out muscle them. It's not mm-hmm. just about being willing to take what they offer. They will actually put... And, and Liam Boyce, I mean, he led the line brilliantly for Burton Albion against them. Um, he, he really did. And Paul Smith was... he I'd never heard of him before. Accrington Stanley played at the Stadium of Light and I thought he was, he was very good. So when we're talking at the top of the show about the psychology involved in football, I wasn't by any stretch of the imagination the most physical player... But if I knew I was going to be playing against Baldwin and Flanagan, there's nothing they do that would put the fear of God into me about getting the ball into my feet. You know, I wouldn't be worried that somebody's going to come clattering through the back of me. Um, so there might be, you know, there might be a, a quite a good future for for both of them. But whether mm-hmm. it would be with each other in no. any club, you know, I, I just mm-hmm. I would have considered because I think as Johnny was alluding to, or it was you, Alex. They they both look at times so ungainly. They, they don't yeah. seem to have a great stature or poise about them, whether in possession or whether they're they're, they're actually defending. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, Alex, in what you're saying. And for me, it's applicable to any level of football. The job is in the title. The job of a defender is to defend. Mm-hmm. You know, you, of course, you want them to be quite adept when they have the ball at their feet, but ultimately. You, you want them to defend. Um, I think positionally they're not too bad from wide areas, Baldwin and Flanagan. No, generally not. It's it's not it's not so much sort of are they aware of where their striker is? It's can they do anything about their striker if their striker's yeah. on the ball? Yeah, I, I think Coventry's winning goal encapsulated it perfectly when it was pulled back from wide, and 
I can't even recall whether it was Baldwin or Flanagan, but they took an eternity to try to get some sort of touch on it. And then, of course, I think mm-hmm. it fell to the forward and he, yeah. he managed to score. And you've got to look at the, the Peterborough away game as well. When uh, Who was it? Was it? Uh, yeah, it was um, Ivan Tony, And it was, to his credit, a very good finish. It but was. He had about, he, he had, and it, again, he had, you know, what felt like a year just to mm. sort of get the ball onto his better foot and take the shot. I think the absolute epitome, though, it's just coming to me now. It was against Southend as well. It was the first goal. It was the overhead kick. Mm. How can you get that much space in the box to look at the ball and turn to f- away to f- turn to face away from the ball and then to line up an overhead kick? How well, how, how, how is he? Was literally standing right behind him the whole time, mm. allowing just like kick it over his head. How has he afforded that much time on the ball? There's there's a real issue there. I think there's something about it's not. You know, they're not daft lads. They know that you should commit to a challenge like that. It's whether or not they can or whether or not they feel confident enough to. I don't know. Mm. I just feel like there's a certain reluctancy about them. So perhaps that they could benefit from maybe an experienced and a more physical figure alongside them, which I think was probably... Was probably the intention in- for Leuvens. Yes, I was going to say, I think that was in the job description for Leuvens, but for whatever whatever reason, Leuvens, he's nowhere Leuvens, to be seen. Leuvens has never, ever been a leader or an example. He's obviously got a wealth of experience. He's played mm-hmm. as a centre-back in a professional game now for 15 years. But from his time at Sheffield Wednesday, from when I seen him at Celtic, he never, ever exhibited leadership qualities. He might just be, for the large part of his career, a very steady centre-back. But I don't know. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you can see the merits in Leuven's with mm-hmm. A and other. But I never ever thought that he would be an ideal example or person to to guide a young person through the the uh, infancy of their career. He's a signing I would make on Football Manager if I needed a, a large and experienced centre back to go alongside one of my younger lads. But obviously, there, there's a lot more to it than just that. I think what I saw really frustrated me at the weekend was um, the second goal, South End. It was. One of the worst goals I think we've ever seen. Four players around the South End player, and none of them. I think it Charlie White of all people tries to slide in and he misses, and then the Southend player scores, and it's like four people, and not one of them can do anything about it. No, I think that's I think that's disgraceful. That really, honestly, I think it's, it was I think it was a disgusting goal to give away, and I wasn't happy with that at all. I know it obviously at this stage of the season it wouldn't have mattered, but it does matter. It's still it was a horrible goal to concede, and I wasn't happy with that. I think it's always well. I think they were both they were both very shoddy goals to concede. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they both were. Yeah, you should never with with the investment and with the prestige of the club. I I, I know Rome wasn't built in a day, but you should never be conceding two goals like that to Southend United. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, this is a team that's fighting relegation, and prior to today, would would never lost a team in the bottom half of the table, not as it stands. Mm-hmm. And there's the way the way that game was conducted was absolutely appalling. I, I don't. They didn't look from the get go. Like there was a real conviction to win it. It felt like that game, the team were, they didn't feel like they were in it, or at least if they were in it, they were in it to a far weaker extent than South End were. Mm-hmm. South End were fighting for their lives, if we were fighting to stave off League Two next season. But we should have been fighting for third. We should have been fighting for the momentum to take into two ties against Doncaster, which is much more preferable than a loss going into two against Portsmouth. I know we've spoken about Portsmouth, but we all know, everyone knows, Jack. Ro- everyone from us to Jack Ross know that Doncaster are a far inferior team to Portsmouth and we would do an absolute number on them compared to how we could do against Portsmouth. It, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one and I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping just talking about it will be cathartic but I don't, I, don't really, I, don't really, I don't really know where we're at to be honest. It's a... Oh, it's a 
therapeutic podcast. I hope so, yeah. So let's, before we sort of go into our final predictions to end the the um, podcast off, let's look back at the season now in League One. Now, I don't believe any of us will be experts on every team in League One. We'll, we'll leave that to, to D3, D4 or not the top 20. One of those lads will do, do that job just mm. fine. It's not really our fault here. We don't know the teams that well. But based on the teams you've seen, if you had to take, let's say, let's say two players from other teams in League mm. One, you've got to take two players that you would assign at the start of the season to improve us and get us into the automatics at least, or at least try to do so. Who would you take, Johnny, and why? Give me just two players. Lyle Taylor. Yep. Scores a lot of goals for Charlton, seems to play a decent game. Um, and I think we, if we got him, I think things would have been much better. Mm-hmm. Second player. Mm. I mean, I'd probably go for two strikers in all honesty. Who's, who's your second striker? Kiefer Moore. Kiefer Moore? 100%. <laughs> Just for the sheer... Well, yeah, because he was one of the best performances I've seen at Stadium Life from an opposition player was him this season. Yeah. I know he got injured, mm. but like I think he would have been great. I think him and Taylor together could have been an interesting pairing. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have needed to worry about Greg and Wyke. I'm not sure what would have happened there, but yeah, I would have gone for them too. Um <clears throat> And that's yeah, that's my two points. Yeah, and I think I mean I mean with Keith Moore, what what um what Kieran said earlier is totally, totally apt. He while we complain about Bolden and Flanagan looking small, he makes anyone look small. You know, he's a big mm-hmm. he's, he's about six foot five, six foot six, and he's built. Yeah. You know, he's a he's a very, very sturdy lad. He, he could rag half the defenders about like an Alsatian with a dog he's toy. Got his feet as well. Yeah, he is. Which is something is, that's quite is. important as well, yeah. So Yeah, he could absolutely play at a higher level than than League One, I mm-hmm. believe. But and that's the case with Lyle Taylor. So I think those I think, are two pretty I, big picks. I mean, it would be hard to to disagree with what Johnny's just said. Mm-hmm. Both were impressive at the Stadium of Light. I think you can also factor in that it's set against a context where Sunderland, certainly in terms of centre-forwards, are struggling to score mm-hmm. goals in a prolific sense. And both of those have contributed significantly to their respective sides. But... I think one of the issues that Sunderland have faced this season that might not be as applicable to some of the others, when you look at the 23 sides that have came to the Stadium of Light, I believe that the majority of them have embraced it. Not many look as if they've endured it or been intimidated by it. I think Plymouth were intimidated by it. I think Doncaster, certainly in the opening period, were intimidated by it. But many of the sides I thought had players within their teams who perhaps have never played at a stadium as big as the Stadium of Light previously and who set about enjoying the occasion. And although, I mean, I can't even remember many of their names, but I mean, Coventry were very good from an attacking perspective. And of course, I suppose they should have been given, they should have been seen as such given that they scored five goals. Um, there was a player from Oxford United in midfield, and this is going back to September when the teams drew 1-1, who I thought was very good. Um, Fleetwood had some good players on, on the day at the Stadium of Light. So there's been a lot of players um, who you know, who have actually came and seemed to enjoy the occasion, as it were, playing in front of 30,000 plus. Could you pick two, perhaps? Um, well, Lyle Taylor, particularly in the first half, was very, very good. Paul Smith for Accrington, I felt, was was excellent. He's on loan from QPR, but he performed exceptionally well. He may even have had the attraction of being in front of the television cameras to 
motivate him. Um, the, the lad, oh, what's his name? He scored. He scored Coventry's fourth goal. Jory Hawula. The fourth goal, central midfielder from outside the box. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. oh it's um, uh, it's Connor Chaplin. He was. I thought he was good. But then again, it might just be that he was good on the day. Mm-hmm. But Lyle Taylor's statistics and Kiefer Moore's, and I appreciate it's easy with goal scorers at times, would suggest that they have. You know, if you'd Lyle Taylor and Kiefer Moore get into the championship, even if so many of the other players are not of the standard that you would ideally want, you could probably have quite a prosperous season. You know, might be the closest you'll come to a Quinn and Phillips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> for for some time yet. Um, but no, they, they were good. Kiefer Moore was very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, very good. He would be a pick for me. Be interesting to see how he does next season in the championship. I think he'll uh, do all right. I think he will. Mm. I think if he's, if I mean, it was a, it was a pretty severe head injury that he sustained. But as, I mean, obviously, you, you never want to say that in football. So assuming that that's that that doesn't affect him, I assume he would do well in the championship with whoever he's with. For me, though, if I'm if I'm picking two, um, I think what no one's picked yet, and it will be the first pick for me, is a good defender. So for me, it's it's thingy from Portsmouth, Mark Clark. Good mm. good defender. You know, a really solid defender has to be someone like that. Someone who obviously has had a very good season with them and you would assume would have an equally good one with us. I just feel like we need that behind us. As for up front, sorry, as for the other, it will be up front. There we go. I've, I've pretty much Freudian slipped that one out. It's a, a striker is what we need for the second one to maybe just give us that sort of good sort of like the two nice slices of bread for a, mm. a nice outfield sandwich. You want a good striker up front to... Well, be on the other end, it will be Kiefer Moore for as one choice. Well, I, su- I yeah. suppose w- the one thing I was going to say to that, Alex, was that um, if Sunderland are to get to the championship, then they're going to have to, in all likelihood, of course, go beyond Portsmouth, but go beyond Charlton. Mm-hmm. And if Matt Clark and Lyle Taylor don't fancy another season in League One, then what's to stop Sunderland going and? testing the resolve of both clubs I don't know how long each player's got left in their contract which of course would mm-hmm. determine how much they would cost I know that Lyle Taylor wouldn't come cheap because goal scorers do tend to no no not at all um, but are you speaking like in from like the hypothetical scenario that we've gone up and we're looking for them yeah yeah right. yeah yeah um, because they, they, you know they okay they might enjoy playing at their clubs but the very nature of football is that mm-hmm. a lot of players are always thinking the, gra- the grass is greener Yeah, and, and Lyle Taylor's a young lad he must be thinking I can play at a high level here if I yeah. don't go up with Charlton I-, I don't want to be in League One another season absolutely and the other thing about it is given the reputation that he has he would be very confident that he could come to Sunderland as first choice you know um because I think a lot of people would put forward the idea and argument that he's he he you know he's he's certainly potentially better than what Greg can offer. He's something different, of course, to Wake. Um, but and and you know I'm, it shouldn't really be a an option playing at the Valley in, in League One or playing at the Stadium of Light in the Championship with the hope that you can go one better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be interesting. Is this summer is going to be the acid test for the owners? Oh yeah, the, the the honeymoon period, whether they get promoted or not, the is, honeymoon period. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, not even spoke about George. No, the honeymoon period is rapidly drawn to a close, and certainly if they don't get promoted, so much of the community cohesion, fan engagement, and interaction 
will diminish and everything will be focusing almost exclusively on what's happening on the field of play. And it's incumbent then to find the financial resources to make the team stronger. And, I, I, you know, I think the, the fans for the most part have been pragmatic. They've accepted the fact that the current custodians of the club are not in any way comparable to Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain or numerous others. But nevertheless, if Sunderland are going to be a top six club in the Championship, which Stuart has alluded to, or of course beyond that, a club once again with Premier, Premier League status, then um, you've got no option. You're going to have to spend money. See, the thing about Jack Rodwell, you know, who was obviously very much the villain of the pieces it were, as Sunderland descended, um, if Sunderland are going to be a Premier League club again, they're going to have to give players like that, wages like that, or even more again. But what you have to do is make sure you get value for it as much as you can get value for somebody at £70,000 a week. Um, because it's just the nature of the game. And although a lot of people start, you know, continuously conjecture that the bubble is one day going to burst. It doesn't show any signs at the moment when television companies are queuing up to give Premier League clubs hundreds of millions of pounds per year. Um, so, you know, one day in the not-too-distant future, Sunderland will have to pay players 70, 80, 90,000 pounds a week or even more. Um, it's just the... it's it's. I mean, it's an ugly vista in many ways. It's something I don't particularly like, um, particularly in an area that's so often, if not always, been beset with social and economic deprivation, but it's the nature of football and the, mm-hmm. you know the the sort of ugliness of it. That, yeah, it's a um, it's a very um, it's just sort of the, the the relentlessness of of business, I suppose, that just drives drives money up perpetually. Yeah, well, I suppose that the television companies and others would argue that they wouldn't be able to do it without the interest from supporters, whether mm-hmm. that's at matches or, of course watching on television yeah well yeah where was I uh, defenders no players yeah players that I would have Matt Clark as we've said mm. there we've spoke Matt Clark he would be one for me the other um, I wouldn't go for Lyle Taylor at the start of the season because we had Josh Madger who as a transpires would play a, a similar role while in my opinion not quite as well I'd go for a, a big striker again I, I know Kiefer Moua is the flavour of the month here in the studio so I'll be a bit contrarian I'd have our man Nandole from Blackpool. When I, every time I've watched him, I thought he's been good. Mm. I, I've, I've, he's a big guy. He's a, he's a big guy and he had a very good game against us when he came here. Well, he took his goal exceptionally well. He really did. You mm-hmm. know, to, um, I don't know if Baldwin or Flanagan or whoever it was just got too close to him and he just found it too easy just to turn them. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not as mobile from memory as... Moore or, or some others no well he'd, um, he'd be my second choice behind Moore I, I wouldn't pick him over Moore in a million years but you, you see the thing and you know you a lot of people would say the same about Wyke if you're going to play if you're going to have someone like that and you're going to play them weekly or quite often you're really going to have to play to their strengths mm-hmm. you know um, see I remember as I'm sure you do a couple of years ago when Everton came to the Stadium of Light on a Monday night and Lukaku was brilliant. I think he scored, he scored a hat-trick, 3-0 for Everton. Um, and although he's, of course, a different standard to the players that we're speaking about... Or, oh, I remember that game. You know, yeah. um, 
you know, that was that was the archetypal performance mm. from someone that's six foot plus who uses her physicality very well and you know who who could score. Um but no, it would be Mo- it would be Lyle Taylor, I think, um and Moore for me in terms of mm-hmm. forwards with yeah. without a doubt. Well it's I suppose it's Clark and Moore for me, but there's my there's my bag up. I think he probably is quite a left field choice, all things considered. But I think he's one of those players where you you could build a team to suit him. But if mm. you weren't playing to his attributes, I think he'd be a bit of a donkey. I just I just get that vibe. But I suppose that's that's fairly incidental. We know what we're focusing on who would have for Sunderland. You, you know, I think we've all said Moore. You know, Moore's great. Would have him, and I'd have a defender. But it's one of those things. You know, you're going to get varied opinions to, to each their own ultimately. But you know that Everton game. Oh. Honestly, I've Sorry just remember. For reminding it's you all right. No, it's um, it's, it's a funny one because that was my first ever. And this is by no means a, a milestone, nor does it feel like one. But that was my first ever time doing the player ratings for Roker Report when, when we lost three 0 Everton. Mm. So that's uh, that, that 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 stands to the memory. Yeah, I was, I was nineteen. Uh, yes, those player ratings. Heady, heady those days. Ratings, yeah, honestly. yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's uh, someone's got to do it, as they say, but. Anyway, before we end this off, let's just have some predictions on how we think the two legs are going hmm. to go against Portsmouth. So let's we'll go, we'll go around the table and we'll start with you, Johnny. Who, how do you think the two games will go? Give us a very brief summary of how you think, if you had your crystal ball here, how you think they would go and what you think the score lines would be. A draw or a defeat. Okay. So right, well, over you, Kieran. Yeah, uh, no yeah. chance to win the whole thing, by the way. Okay. So. Right, well... <laughs> Johnny here making his farewell appearance on the Roker Report podcast for his <laughs> rampant negativity. I know, I know, I know, we've been very cynical this time round, but do you really think we'll lose? I don't do know. I feel. I, I just think that, like, if the if it was the other way around, and perhaps we were the second leg, I don't know. I'd maybe a fancy our chances then, but I feel like if we draw one-one here, then Portsmouth just need to have one just to win one-nil, and they're through and yeah. at home. And I, I don't know. I think. I think they have the advantage because they're the uh, home team in the second leg. See, I, c- I can't see Sunderland losing 1-0. I could see them losing 3-2. I could see them losing 4-3. Mm-hmm. But how many games of the 46 in the league did Sunderland draw blank? I think yeah, it was once. only yeah. Barnsley away. It was only Barnsley away. So, it's why I've says I can completely understand why fans at this moment in time are frustrated, infuriated, or if you forgive the language, downright pissed off. That's fine. But mm-hmm. that's in relation to what has went on over the course of the last five days. I understand that. And Alex makes a very good point that sometimes your view is tinted by what has happened very recently. But I think when you look at 46 games in their entirety, Sunderland have got a lot of things that they can draw upon that can give them confidence and courage ahead of this particular playoff semi-final. They've went 46 games where they only drew a blank once. They, all things being equal prior to last week, had only lost, um, you know, in those 46 games, they only lost once by more than one goal. And that was when they were down to 10 men. It's not all of a sudden because of the pressure that comes with being in a playoff that you're playing against a side that isn't of your standard or your league. Um, you know, they've, they've, and, and this is, by the way, Portsmouth have lost four goals at Fratton Park in the same time that Sunderland lost four at both Fleetwood and South End. So um, I think it's entirely possible that at this moment, 
the Fratton Park podcast is taking place between two Portsmouth fans, an ex-Portsmouth player, and they're speaking <laughs> with great despondency and doom and gloom about the upcoming playoff against Sunderland. Yeah, you know, Some, somewhere in Portsmouth, them uh, two lads, much like myself and Johnny, are joined by Kanu while they wonder him. <laughs> oh, so am I ca- I'm, I'm, I'm the Kanu equivalent. Aren't yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, he's not bad. Hey, he had a lot of skill, yeah. Yeah, you, you'll, yeah, you'll take, that. take that every day, yeah, yeah absolutely. So... A summary and a and a, now a, a summary of the two games and the and the score lines, Kieran. It, the summary would involve words such as tentative, nervy. I wouldn't be that surprised if it goes back to Fratton Park all square, mm-hmm. but I certainly wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if Sunderland were to go there and win two one. So two two stadium alight, two one. Sunderland mm-hmm. at Fratton Park. Brilliant, okay. brilliant. That, that's that's what we like to see. Yeah. Um, oh, here as the case may be. I'll as tell it's an you what, platform. I'll come back in and do another one if I get that exactly right to give you the forecast for the final against Charlton yeah. or Doncaster. And then we're gonna have the lottery numbers as well. If you have the time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that's how it'll go. So I think now I think I don't think I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna predict any one ones here. Okay, I'm done with those now, and I hope that Jack Ross and Sutherland are also done with the one one. I think if Sunderland are going to let us down, they're going to do it in spectacular fashion, but that's not going to be the case. We are going to play Portsmouth at home here and we are going to win 1-0. We're just going to win 1-0. It's going to be a goal from Lewis Morgan because he's been almost... He's, he's looked very in form recently and I think after being denied a lovely overhead kick by McGillivray, he's going to get his revenge this time with another lovely effort just from outside the box mm. in the first half and we'll see the game out Everyone will be terrified that we'll end up going back to 1-1. They'll hit the post at some point, do a very good free kick, but ultimately they won't score. We'll win 1-0, we'll go to Fratton Park, and then we'll draw 1-1. But we'll draw 1-1 in a result where a 1-1 takes us to Wembley. We'll play Charlton, we'll beat Charlton, and Netflix will have an absolute field day. That's how it'll go. Hmm. I think we're going to go all the way. That's... Quite. My my prediction seems tame in comparison to your thought-out scenario. It's just that's the thing. I don't know. Need to have somebody optimistic. When when I get when I get like a train of thought together and I start to sort of generate that positivity. Like, see, I feel like about thirty-five minutes in, looking at the sound waves here, I feel like that's more or less when I got the the last of my sort of temper tantrum misery out of my system. So now I'm back in positive mode. I want Sunderland to win, and I feel like we are going to win. That's. I'm, I'm sorry if you turn off the podcast halfway through because you thought we were being miserable buggers, but I'm up, I'm, I'm up for it now. <laughs> Can I just ask, in, in case either of you are aware at this moment, and I realise a lot of the organisation is still ongoing, do we have any idea of how many tickets, for example, Portsmouth will get for the game next Saturday? I've not got a clue, but I'd imagine right, a yeah. pretty hefty allocation. Would you, what, you mean maybe more than what they had for the game last week, so I don't. I don't would know. Be getting four thousand, five thousand. Do you think? It, it, I think it might depend on a lot of factors. Like I, I know absolutely nothing about it in, in any real factual detail, but I don't know. I think maybe they might get either the same or slightly more. I think the, what's going to mitigate that is the fact that security had a nightmare containing yeah, them the other course. day. Because we don't. What we don't want is any more smoke bombs coming down <laughs> on on potential families or anyone else for that matter. Mm. Because when I mean, we've spoken about that, and that was obviously ridiculous. Not, not, not again. Not, not the tar roll Portsmouth fans with the same brush. Of course, but you, you know, when by law of averages, if you take four K fans, you're going to get four idiots, and they're going to try and 
especially and they're, when they're, they're travel, tra- yeah. traveling eight hours and who yeah. knows what they've got inside them. Oh, well, I mean, it's, you know, that's yeah. just, I did question how that was able to get in, by the way. I mean, I don't know what a smoke bomb looks like because I've never actually had one, but. I don't know how they managed to get that. It's, it's like it's like a cartoon bomb, John. It's like it's like a big metal is sphere like those, and it? has a little fuse and then it goes. Oh, psss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, but no, no, it's. Oh, that's definitely not dangerous. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, no. basically, I mean, obviously, whatever happens with security is entirely out of our hands here at the Roker Report. But hopefully, the the right decisions are made with regards to allocations and security, and hopefully, the right decisions are made from the Portsmouth fans travelling. Because we you know we want everyone to enjoy mm. the time here. Yeah, we wanted to be a competitive game, but we don't want anyone, anyone getting smoke bombs or pyrotechnics thrown at them. It's just it's, there's no place for that in any any aspect of football. But I think we're, we're okay to end that there. All things considered, although we did actually we intended to ask you a few questions, Kieran. But as we don't have the time, I'm going to ask you one. Now, when you played for Sunderland, you my dad used to frequent Fino's in the town, and he said that he <laughs> once saw you in Fino's. And he and he said and he and he said that you played well that day. Can you recall seeing a man who at the time would have been quite tall, quite skinny, with a ball cut, telling you that you had a good game? Jeez, <laughs> um, I can it's remember Fino's. Yeah, well, I certainly can. I had some very joyous times in the halcyon days of youth in that establishment, but I can't recall the specifics with what you're. No. referring to I, I didn't was, think I was, was I was fortunate that supporters were generally very warm and um, very fulsome in their praise but please don't forget that by the time you normally got to Fino's which generally came after a pub crawl over the preceding <laughs> three to four hours you weren't really in the best frame of mind for remembering much no so I wasn't really expecting an answer at all, but I just felt like he asked me to ask you that question on the last podcast you were on, and because right. I forgot, I thought um, I'd just chuck it in the end. If, if you, if I mean, if you told me the game, the specific game, then it might have jogged the memory. But <laughs> in the main, well, you know what, Kieran, when you come back, I'm actually I'm, just yeah. pleased that he actually is implying that I was actually still in a position to hear him, because normally by the time I'd got to Fino's or some other nightclub, you know, you were. Um, Several sheets to the wind, as it were. Aye, something like that. But yeah, well, next time you come on the podcast, Kieran, just after you get your prediction right and you're back in here prior to the Wembley one, hmm. I'll I'll get some, I'll get the specifics and I'll get the context of 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 the particular Spot evening, on. and and then we'll see if, if yeah. we can't if we can't um, uh, get the old memory cogs wearing. Yeah. But, but tell him yeah. tell him thank you very much for uh, his kind comments. Oh, he'll appreciate it. Might have it been twenty five years ago, but. Yeah, I think Always it, it appreciate. probably would have been about that. Yeah, but hmm. aye, well, there you go. Yeah, so thank you very much to Kieran for coming into the podcast today. It's been no, an absolute... can I just say yeah. thank you very much for inviting me? Thank hey, you. you're always welcome. And thank you very much to Johnny as well for, for being back here, for um, uh, having the, the sort of stomach to recount being at Fleetwood. Yes, oh, it was nice to get it out there. Yeah, like, Get it out your system, lads. Bring yeah. on Saturday. Bring on Bring Saturday. Bring it on. Yes. Exactly Please. that. Oh, I, honestly, right? I'm, I'm, I'm up for it now. At the start of the podcast, I was doom and gloom. I'm up for it now. I'm on it like a car bonnet. We're gonna, we're gonna, we've got a three game season. We're gonna win it. Also, one more thing. Rock report this week is up for two awards at the Football Blogging Awards. You may be aware of that for anyone who voted. Thank you. I'm uh, going to be down there as the sole representative of Rock Report um, at the Manchester Etihad Stadium. So. 
It's going to be a good one. <laughs> Should be a good one. But uh, yeah, so we're up for two awards. Keep an eye out for that. And hopefully I'll be bringing home the gold next week. Yeah, yeah. The goldsmith bringing home the gold. Yes, uh, indeed. You didn't intend that pun, but I'm going to make it for you. <laughs> so yeah, thank you very much to the listeners as always. And thank you to the University of Sunderland for once again providing us with their studios. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you very much. How are the lads up the boys? Let's get nine points figuratively and let's, you know, let's go up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.